in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The Warriors host the Grizzlies tonight. The winner gets the eight seed in the West. The loser is out. Uh, Ed, I know you are all in on the Warriors winning just because you want to watch Steph Curry, but would you give me the opportunity to try to convince you that you actually want to watch the Grizzlies instead? Only if it includes Grayson Allen tripping Steph Curry. It does. It does include (laughs) Grayson Allen, yes. So, first off... Somebody read the rundown. First off, you have John Morant, who I will... No doubt about it, he is not as fun as Steph Curry because Steph Curry might be the most fun player to watch in the league, but John Morant is a point guard. Ton of athleticism. He'll dunk on you. He's confident. He's cocky. John Morant is a very fun player to watch. But more importantly, I think this is where I am more interested in the Grizzlies than the Warriors is because they would play the Jazz, Jonas Valanciunas is the center for the Grizzlies. That is a center that can hit threes and space the floor and guard an actual big man on the other end. His matchup with Rudy Gobert would be fascinating because, again, he can make Rudy Gobert guard to the three-point line because he shoots really well from three, and he's not going to get posted up by Rudy Gobert and give up free layups on the other end because he's an actual center so Jonas Valanciunas versus Rudy Gobert I think would be the most interesting matchup and yes you can hate watch Grayson Allen because he's going to try to trip people every other game you have not convinced me good try I want to watch Steph Curry try to score 50 in every game (laughs) but the Grizzlies might push it to five the Warriors are getting swept (laughs) that's a great great question oh by the way the Wizards beat the Pacers last night so the Pacers Scored 144 points two yes. days ago. Last night, yeah. they gave up 142. Yeah. It's just, I'm absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> okay. Good for them. They're out. <laughs> the Las Vegas Aces host the LA Sparks tonight. Is it another must win, Ed? I declared game two of the season a must win. Should I make game three a must win as well? We kind of want them down 10 in the fourth quarter and looking over and seeing Mark Davis at his courtyard seat standing up, putting his hands in his jeans and just shaking his head at Lambeer. (laughs) I want to see him like three games in already mad at the head coach and wondering, "Eh, you know what? Is this the guy? Is this the guy? I don't think you'll ever wonder that because I think who has more control of their organization, Bill Lambeer or John Gruden? Oh, Lambeer. Exactly. So I don't think Lambeer's getting fired. I think, I think Lambeer might fire Mark Davis before Mark Davis can fire Lambeer. It's, it's strange, and I kind of give a double take every time, uh, you know, Jiggy, and I know you like to, when I say Jiggy, Jiggy. sends out the uh, Zoom Zoom every day, because I'm like, this can't be true, because a coach and in charge of the organization is actually talking to the media. That was weird. <laughs> are, you sure Mark da- are you sure Mark Davis owns this team? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Next question. 
Donovan Mitchell expects to play in game one for the Utah Jazz. So Mitchell has not played since April 16th. We're over a month since his last game. He averaged 26 points. He's having a very good season this year. Um, I, I tend to believe the Utah Jazz would be able to beat Golden State or Memphis without him. Uh, but they would definitely need him to win a second round series against, say, the Clippers. So I, I'm curious on the Donovan Mitchell return here. Are they rushing him back and should they wait? Or were they waiting this whole time because he has been out more than a month and just making sure he's 100% ready for game one of the first round? Kids Nikita Kucherov going to come in and score 40 tonight? <laughs> he's going to roll off the bench and you haven't seen him in months and all of a sudden he's going to be scoring? Uh, it's a lo- long time for an ankle, isn't it? April 16th? Yeah, and which is why I kind of... That's a long time. I know ankles kind of, you know, the whole thing about ankles, they last forever, but that's a really long time to be out. Right, which is why I kind of was wondering, or have they already slow played it? Like, did they already decide, yes. we don't yeah. need to bring Donovan Mitchell back until an actual playoff game? So maybe he is, uh, you know, 100% ready to go and everything's going to be fine and they're not rushing him back. And that's, you know, probably the best thing to do is whenever he's 100%, because again... I think the Jazz can handle Golden State or Memphis without him, but that second round is going to be the key because, I mean, the the West playoffs are going to be bizarre this year because we might have we might have a four seed and a seven seed in the Western Conference Finals, or at least the favorites to get there might be a four seed and a seven seed in the Clippers and the Lakers. Maybe Quinn Snyder just wants to uh, bring out his inner uh, NHL and say day to day. Maybe that's it. Day-to-day. Game time decision every game, game for time two decision. weeks. Game time decision here in Minnesota. Yes, the guy's back in Summerlin. Next question. Cubs president Jed Hoyer is disappointed in how few Cubs have been vaccinated. Here's a few quotes that Jed Hoyer gave to ESPN. It's disappointing to not be at 85% as a team. We've worked hard to try and convince or educate the people that have been reluctant. We're at a place right now. I'm not going to give up hope. We're going to get there. But my level of optimism is waning. It is disappointing. There's a competitive advantage we're going to miss. Being transparent about it, we're not a player away from being at 85%. It's a disappointing thing that we'll have anxieties and restrictions that others don't. So the president of the Cubs is basically blasting his players in public because not enough of them will get vaccinated to get to that 85% threshold that would allow them to ease up on restrictions. I I got to agree with them. If I was a president, GM, manager, whatever of a team, I would be furious if my players refused to get it and wouldn't get to that 85% mark. Yeah, I mean, I guess they don't want looser restrictions. I'm not sure. Uh, the the Arietta quote is a joke when Jake Arietta says, we have a lot of guys. We have not had. This is just. I don't know if it's ignorant. I don't know if he's just like, look, I'm. I'm not getting vaccinated. We have a lot of guys in the team who don't want to do it. But when you say we've not had any cases in the past month, we're doing okay, and we're being <laughs> careful about where we go and who we're running. That doesn't solve anything. There's, there's positive cases every day. For him to come out and say, hey, we're doing okay because we hasn't had, haven't had a positive case. He's either going to the wall with whoever on that team doesn't want to get vaccinated, or he's not paying very close attention. And I would think. He's going to the wall, and there's just a group of guys, for whatever reasons, and we probably know what they are, that they just are not going to get vaccinated. I am curious, uh, when do we get to a point with our sports leagues where if you are vaccinated but test positive, you don't have to sit out? 
Like, because I feel like that's coming fairly soon at some point that they're going to say, if you test positive, if you're vaccinated, you're fine. You can keep playing. And you mean, you mean beyond like the false positives of the, yes, beyond the false positives, but like, but like if you're vaccinated and you test positive, obviously you can still spread it. If you, if you tested, if you uh, are vaccinated, but if you're vaccinated and test positive and 85% of your teammates are, you don't have to sit out because that's the whole point of getting vaccinated. I wonder when we get there because that would be a massive competitive advantage for teams that hit that 85% mark versus teams that don't, because all of a sudden, if you had a team that's 85%, somebody tests positive, they don't have to sit out versus the Cubs. And they have somebody test positive. That player now has to sit out for at least five or seven days, whatever it is. Like, I wonder when that's coming because I have to imagine it's coming at some point. Like, are are we going to sit around? I still think, I still think they're farther away from that only because of when someone tests positive, the whole uproar and the, the fear of it and, and getting guys quarantined. I mean, maybe eventually it happens when the teams, like you said, that are 85%, but I don't know, Tyler. I mean, it's not as long of odds as we'll ever be in locker rooms again, but <laughs> I think they're pretty, I think they're pretty long odds that let's say today, whoever on the Golden Knights or whoever, you know, tests positive and it's not a false positive. I think that guy's in a hotel room more and he's not anywhere near that game. But if you if you take it as just the Major League Baseball players or whatever sports league you want it to be, and if I and if you say every single player has had a chance to get vaccinated and these players have elected not to get vaccinated, then what you're basically saying is we're forcing players to miss time after testing positive who were vaccinated because other people wouldn't get vaccinated. Yeah. Because I have to imagine if you could in an in a you know ideal situation, if you said every single player in Major League Baseball has been vaccinated, and every single manager, bench coach, general manager, whatever, has been vaccinated 100% across the board, then I think they would be fine with playing guys that tested positive. Because if everybody's vaccinated, that's, as a as a society, we're going to have to get to that point eventually because the, the virus isn't actually ever going to go away. It's going to exist. We're just going to be vaccinated so we can yeah. fight it. So at some point, you have to say, listen, you had a chance to get vaccinated. You're refusing to do it. We can't hold up guys that test positive for weeks at a time because you refuse to get vaccinated. Well, you're right in that sense. And as we go around town or wherever, and I've seen it here in Minnesota is, and we talked about this before, it's also the honor system. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I don't believe I've been in situations recently where there's 90% of the people without masks. And I want to believe everyone's vaccinated, but there's always that curiosity in your mind. like, really, are y'all vaccinated? I will say this about Hoyer. When he said they're trying to educate their guys, uh, this just in, I don't think they need education. I think they know what they want to do and they don't want to get vaccinated. I don't think at this point that the education, well, hey, player A, you might not know. I know about it. I'm not doing it. So when he says education, that that has passed. You just have players in that team for whatever reason who are – who are non-vaxxers, like, we're not doing this. I mean, maybe they change their minds, but it's not about education at this point. They know everything they need to know, and they're making the decision not to get vaccinated. Next question. All right, this is a... It was a bizarre story to me, uh, but seven medical professionals have been charged with the murder of Diego Maradona, uh, who is one of the greatest soccer players of all time, took Argentina to a couple of World Cups. But Maradona died from heart failure, And it came two weeks after he had brain surgery. And now there's doctors, nurses, and a psychologist are among these seven professionals that have been charged. And apparently 
There is some audio recording of a conversation that is incriminating that indicates that Maradona was like not being cared for, that he was left to fend for himself after he had this brain surgery. I, I This is bizarre to me that you would have seven people charged for this and that they wouldn't be trying to take care of Diego Maradona. Um, I remember when he passed, he passed in Argentina. Yes? Yes, yeah. Because if that's the case... This is absolutely astonishing, given how beloved he was there. Right. Like I, this is for seven people to be involved, you know, allegedly or whatever they've been charged with. I, I cannot believe. I don't even believe there's seven people in the entire country who like didn't like him. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I mean, that not not only that, but to actually, as the quote was, lend defend for himself after brain uh, after brain surgery. That makes no sense, given who that was in that country. I mean, I I don't know. They've obviously think they have some evidence to where why they charge these people, but. That's astonishing only because of the place he played in that country's heart and, and what he meant to them. It is like he is so beloved that Lionel Messi has been the best player in the world for like 15 years. And Lionel Messi is th- the reason in Argentina Lionel Messi isn't as beloved is because he hasn't won a World Cup and Diego Maradona did. Like people don't right. think Messi has lived up to Maradona all because he hasn't won a World Cup. Like it's he's so beloved because the best player in the world right now isn't as loved as him. It's unbelievable to me. Like, I I don't know. It's completely bizarre to me, that story. I don't know if it's just vengeful family because it said the family wants justice or I, I don't know. It's just a very strange story to me. Can I get all speculative? Of course. That's what you're sure. here for. Okay. Well, I mean, as the guy with no journalistic integrity, does this not feel similar to, like, the Michael Jackson, maybe these people were doing stuff for him that he, they shouldn't have been doing, and now that now it's coming out like, oh, you killed him. You're suggesting the doctors were doing something to help Maradona? Yeah, but at the same time, it was something they shouldn't have been doing because they're I doctors. See. I see. Um, possibly. Oh. I mean, it's... Maybe. Yes, I... Uh, you're telling me seven people conspired in the medical field to kill Diego Maradona? <laughs> to kill the to, like to kill the guy they have a statue of? Right. Like I, there's got to be something else. So I yes. When there's when there is rioting in the street, everyone avoids tearing down <laughs> that statue because they because <laughs> both sides of the conflict are like, okay, we like him. Yes, though. we all agree on that. That stays up. That's not going anywhere. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the Raiders and Mark Davis saying the Raiders have to win for Allegiant Stadium. We're back to the press box with Grady You're and sitting Bischoff. In the press box with Grady and What was that? What did you do, Jared? So our uh, I, I have two things labeled the same color. Our rejoins are labeled purple and our rejoin beds are labeled purple. It's so that I'm like, okay, these that's where they go. I clicked the wrong purple button. I don't know if the audience enjoys it, but I enjoy Jared frustratingly explaining why he pressed the wrong button. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. I enjoy the fact I don't know what a bed is, so. <laughs> I assume you can turn around and look at one in your hotel room. Six, 659 in, 959 out. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the Raiders have... <laughs> Some of the most popular tickets on the secondary market. I think only the Patriots-Buccaneers game is a higher price secondary resale ticket than most of the Raider home games. Things like $3,000. Yeah, good luck getting into that one. But 
for most Raider games, it's like the average secondary price is over 500. I want to say for the Ravens game is it's it's under a thousand, but it's getting up there eight or nine hundred dollars. But Paul Gutierrez talked to Mark Davis, and Mark Davis had a had an interesting quote on this, in that he said, "What this means to me." is we've got to win games if we want to keep them coming back. We're in the sports and entertainment capital of the world. It's our inaugural season 2.0, and we have a beautiful stadium that is also a draw. So, like, my general question about the Raiders is, how long can they be a popular ticket without actually having a good team? Oh, I... I don't know what you think here. I think a while, though. Well, one, I'm just going to go on the fan base because say whatever you want about the team, 17 and 18 years, we get all that. It's a passionate, committed fan base. And, I, you know, I know the tickets are going to be more than they were at Oakland Coliseum, but I went to every home game, obviously, the last two or three years since they got the team, Vegas had the team, and there were, you know, 56, 57,000 plus each Sunday, and they weren't very good. So I think, you know, I, I, I liken it to in a much smaller, it's apples and oranges, I get it. But I think of the two teams that are going to play in there, the one that should have a worry or concern would be UNLV because not only the tickets will be less money, they're going to get a lot of people the first year who just want to see that stadium and won't come back if they don't win. I think in the NFL, and as much as the Raiders fan base is rabid and passionate, I think it's going to be wild. I mean, yeah, do they have, They should win. I mean, he hired Gruden, and that, that's a whole other issue in terms of how much they haven't won. But if you're asking me down the line two, three years – they're still, well, it would it be now, 9 and 8, 8, 9, 17 games. I just think they're going to keep showing up. I have not seen anything from Raider fans because I think, let's be honest, at some point they're a little delusional on their team in terms of <laughs> how good it really is. I don't see them backing off from this, Tyler. I think they're just going to keep coming because they love the Raiders so much. Okay, so one of my favorite things I've seen in the last two days is I believe the Broncos hired the first female head of scouting and the top comment was a Raiders fan saying, Raiders w- run the AFC West. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there it is. That like, guy's buying tickets for the next 10 years. <laughs> you just, you, you literally just, they could have said anything. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's pretty clear the Raiders, the Raiders fan base alone is going to keep Allegiant Stadium yeah. full because they, they've been selling a lot of tickets for a team that's, had one playoff appearance in 18 years. Yes. Like, since since they lost to John Gruden in the Super Bowl, the only team with fewer wins in the NFL than the Raiders are the Cleveland Browns. Like they have been one. Is that of, true? Yeah, yes. they have been. And I that's an that's a huge stat. I had no idea, but that's a great stat. And I want to say if the Browns win two more games than the Raiders this year, the Browns will actually pass them. But wow. Um, but yeah, but it's like they have been for almost two decades one of the worst organizations in football. Hell, one of the worst organizations by win percentage in all of sports in North America. I'm sh- I'm, I got to be honest. There's, there, you know, obviously with the parody in the NFL, but each year you have some really bad teams. I know they haven't been in the playoffs, you know, once in 18 years. That stat shocks me. Yeah. And it, maybe it shouldn't, but it just seems like there'd be other teams that would have been worse with wins. Man, I'm, that that surprises me. Well, they've only had one winning season in that 18 years. They've they had the 12-win season where they went to the playoffs, and I think it's two 8-8 eight eight seasons. And wow. everything else has been under 500. Whereas most other teams, like, they might have been bad. Like, the Lions might have been bad, but they have more winning records. Like, they'll have more seasons. Yeah, they'll they throw go, in, like, two or three winning right, seasons. Where they go 9-7 and seven a few times, and that makes up for it. Whereas the Raiders, they... They've only had one of those. Like, hell, even take Tampa Bay. Like, Tampa Bay is one of the bottom, I think, five or six teams and wins in the last 18 years. But 
even they had a season where they just won the Super Bowl, and, and they've had seasons where they win 10, 11 games. The Raiders have only had one in 18 years, and everything else has pretty much been bad. So, But despite that, the Raiders are still, like, their fan base is still absurd. So I think Raiders fans will carry that for a long time. I do wonder, though, like, the actual price of the tickets at some point will come down substantially. Like, if this continues for another 10 years, like, we're talking, you know, five, six, seven years from now, the Raiders no longer have the most expensive ticket price in the NFL on the secondary market. It's going to be, oh, you can resell them for about the same price you bought them from the team for. Like, at some point, if they don't make the playoffs, that oh. value is going to tank. Right now, it's the first time you get to go to the stadium for Raiders fans and for other fan bases. But if there's going to come a point where, you know, Denver Broncos fans are going to be like, well... I've been to Allegiant Stadium once or twice. Uh, the Raiders suck. Our team sucks. I don't need to go back again. Yeah, and you're gonna have a you're gonna have a team if the Raiders, you know, still five years down the road and made the playoffs. You're gonna have a team like Dallas who will never like lose fan interest there. Who's gonna have a higher price point? No matter how good they yeah. are. I mean, there's gonna be certain teams in the league where, yeah, eventually if the Raiders don't get it going, they're just gonna move ahead of the Raiders in price point just because their fan base is now you know crazy people are about those teams. But I think for the foreseeable future. I won't be surprised if they stay at this. And, you know, I think Davis is true in what he says, and they have to win. And I, I did a big interview with him a month ago, and he said the only thing I've done poorly since taking over my father is the most important thing, and we haven't won. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he, and he's right. I mean, he. the one thing about Mark Davis, I will say when it comes to that, and it, you know, right now it's just words because they haven't won. He doesn't really shy away from that. I mean, he, and you really can't because they haven't done it, but some some owners would really give you a list of reasons why. He doesn't tend to do that. He pretty much says that ah, I haven't done my I haven't done my job well enough. I still think though, whether it's from Arizona, whether it's from LA, whether it's from the Bay Area, whether it's from other whatever fans they earn in Las Vegas, I think you're right. I think that's a really stronghold on, on the on those tickets in terms of Raider fans, and it's going to be a while before there's a lot of let's say available tickets you know on the market for games. Yeah, and it's at some point it'll happen if they don't win, but if they do win, if they put together a team that can make the playoffs, if they give people besides crazy Raider fans reason for optimism, then that's the ticket prices will stay. Maybe not where they are right now. Cause it's kind of absurd where they are right now, but they'll stay pretty high on the secondary market. If other people outside of the, you know, people that paint their faces and put on shoulder pads to watch games are actually excited. Cause that's the thing. Not many people are optimistic about the Raiders this year, except Raider fans. Right. Right. So it'll no, happen I mean, well, point. and let's be honest. I mean, 17 out of 18 years. I don't know how you can be, especially when you're playing in division with, you know, the, the best quarterback in the NFL and, 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 and one team with a rising quarterback. And, you know, you kind of look at, I mean, forget about it. If the Broncos get Rodgers, we've talked about that. Then it is going to be a while. So I, the optimism, it's like sometimes with the Golden Knights and the injuries and whatever, at some point you lose the benefit of the doubt. The Raiders, I think, long ago lost the benefit of the doubt. They either have to prove it or I think people are just going to assume they're not going to make the playoffs. No, they run the AFC West. (laughs) Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. Aaron Rodgers is unimpressed with him, but we aren't. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Well, finally, Jason Fitz is here. Jason, where you been? 
man, you know what? I feel like they should be playing like reunited, and it feels so good. Like <laughs> it, it, we're doing a long distance phone hug right now. Like things that yeah, I've, I've missed you guys. I feel like we haven't had the opportunity to hang out. And despite what some people Twitter on Twitter say, we're great together. So let's go. <laughs> That guy was tame. We get those 40 a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. The amount of people, and, and this is a, a very, very true story. When I had made the, the leap out of music into sports, the first, and, you know, anybody that doesn't know how some contracts work in sports, like uh, in the beginning, you're on what they call a usage deal, which means the company ESPN can fire you whenever they want in the beginning if you're, if you're just not panning out. And so I got the opportunity to host at the time what was Mike and Mike. And it was Junior and I together hosting Mike and Mike on July 3rd. And I'll never forget, I'm so nervous. Like, I've, I've leveraged everything I have into this. No idea how I'm going to keep my lights on. No idea if I'm going to make it. And we hosted Mike and Mike. And that day, I look at Twitter, and I mean, it was hundreds of tweets about why <laughs> I was the reason ESPN's dying. And if I, if I can get a job, anybody can get a job. Like, it, it, was, it was a hard day for me. But you flash forward a year later to the day, Mike and I were co-hosting at the time, Golik and Wingo, and I look on Twitter afterwards, and everyone's like, you guys are the future. Why don't you have a show together? Like, eventually you win them over. That's the goal. I was under the impression you guys all got paid by the tweet that says, you are the reason ESPN is failing. Oh, my God. If that was the case, I would have much nicer houses. I mean, that is, that's, that's the best. Like, yeah, my first foray at all into ESPN was, uh, you know, with college football. And at the time, we were doing all these Lamar Jackson cut-ups because I don't know if anyone ever watched him in college he was pretty good there you know and so we kept doing these highlight reels and Clemson fans became convinced that I was anti-Clemson through all of it and let me tell you the hate that came was just it was real and I'm looking around thinking man y'all care too much about this stuff like we're just having fun this isn't rocket science so it's an interesting world yeah they they care way too much we I don't think correct me if I'm wrong but have we talked to you since Tony La Russa kind of lost his mind there (laughs) No, and, you know, I mean, this is – but what did we expect? Like, the White Sox went out and made a questionable human being hiring that's a non-questionable baseball hiring, right? So, Tony La Russa is going to say the wrong thing a lot because, frankly, he's an old-school guy that no longer relates to locker rooms. But as long as they're winning, who cares? If you're the White Sox, you knew what you were signing up for. So, I think what we need to do at this point is just sort of accept that Tony La Russa – is all of our grandpas. He's going to say something at the point at Thanksgiving dinner that makes the whole room uncomfortable, and we're all going to have to say, okay, <laughs> is it worth correcting him on this, or do we just let it go? You know, that's, that's my very Southern experience on Thanksgiving for the last 20 years. I'm just saying, like, there's a spot where you just roll your eyes and say, okay, he's grandpa. That, that's Tony La Russa right now. Uh, so the two oldest managers in baseball are Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker this year. Were you aware that Tony La Russa at one point was Dusty Baker's manager? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's just, you know, and and the crazy thing is that baseball as a sport constantly fights the how do we get more personality showing. And I think, by the way, as much as, you know, we spend every year trying to fix baseball, uh, I I feel like they've done a really nice job of doing a better job of marketing some of the young stars. And one thing that Sarah and I questioned a lot on Spain and Fitz with the La Russa hires is that the White Sox have some young personalities. But even some of their quotes have just been like, don't listen to the noise. Like, I think the noise they're talking about is not the media. It's it's La Russa. Like, but again, as long as they're getting results, everybody thinks it's worth it. I mean, is it is it a great example? Let's say they keep this up because they're. I think they have best record in baseball. They have the best run differential. 
and yet he's saying Lance Lynn has a locker and I have an office. I mean, <laughs> is there a chance uh, like locker room chemistry is completely overblown here and guys just won't care about this guy and still win without him kind of being in their corner? Yes, I think in, in baseball particularly, locker room chemistry is overblown. I don't think it is as much because, like, look at different sports and ask ourselves what that locker room looks like. The NBA is culturally just sort of different in the sense that the teams that seem to do the best are the teams that have a locker room that knows when to push for the players and when to allow the coaches to have a voice. But coaches in, you know, in the NBA really have so little power, and you see it in the fact that you can be a coach of a year the year, one year, and two years later, you're out of a job, right? Like, so we understand who has the power there. In the NFL, so much of it is about the locker room because you spend so much time with your individual position coaches and your position group. So if you get along, like, you don't have to get along with your quarterback. You've got to get along with the rest of your offensive linemen and Tom Cable in the Raiders' sense, right? Like, you got to get, you got to get along with your D-line coach and the rest of the guys that are on that, like, because they spend so much time isolated together. I think chemistry matters more in the NFL than it does in baseball. It's really about, okay, I don't need you to like me. I don't even have to spend time talking to you. I'll respect whatever decision you make during the game strategically because I have to, but I'm not sure chemistry really matters outside that. Uh, have you watched play-in games for the NBA that was not Lakers-Warriors? No. I mean, what, what kind of savage do I look like? I mean, I, I think it's funny, too. Like, everybody turns around and says, oh, the play-in's such a win. No, it isn't. Like, the play-in's a loss. Like, I understand that everybody watched this Warriors-Lakers game, and it was spectacular. By the way, not as spectacular as the Warriors-Lakers series would have been. But either way, it was a spectacular game. But the real play-in indication is over in the East. you got a Boston team that is a brand that fell apart this season that may need to make huge changes and doesn't really have the flexibility with player contracts to do it. And then conversely, you got a Wizards team that everybody gave up on a few months ago that's just hot, 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 hot. And were any of us talking about that game in the play? And no, nobody really cared about it. Like, is anybody looking at the Grizzlies-Spurs game saying, oh, I cannot wait for this? No. Like, we all understood what we were watching for. But realistically, the NBA got lucky here because if for some reason LeBron and the Lakers weren't healthy enough, they're bounced out of the playoffs. Well, they lose a huge brand after two games, worst-case scenario for the Lakers. They lose to Golden State, then they lose the next game they would lose the biggest brand they need for ratings after two games. That's not a win for the league. So I think the, win, the, the league survived a little bit of a catastrophic moment here by having the Lakers, by having LeBron have that moment, that shot, that even Steph was like, really, come on, dude. And when Steph is giving you that look, you know it was lucky. He said that uh, Draymond's finger went right in his eye and he saw three rims. I don't believe that. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, you've got <laughs> come on. Such a just, there are certain guys, and we all know them, like, and uh, look, I understand LeBron's a world-class athlete. I'm not comparing him to any playground athlete you've ever played with. But we all know somebody that you've played, like, pickup basketball with that will just sit there like Peter Griffith, just, like, moaning over the toe that hurts and hurts and hurts. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's right back up and he's like, no, 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 I got it. Like, everything LeBron does at this point during a game is to make a statement to the officials later in the game about what he wants. So what did he do? I mean, he made it a super big deal so that the officials would watch Draymond a little bit more, a little bit closer. I mean, it's all part of the theater at this point. And just like theater is part of the Premier League, it's part of the NBA, too. So I appreciate LeBron thinking we're all that stupid, but I'm not buying it. Will Urban Meyer take Trevor Lawrence off the field for a Tim Tebow goal line package at some point this season? when he decides he wants to go back to you know college and coach like that's going to be the, the right like his answer to that is going to be you know guys i'm just trying to look this Tebow thing 
by the way, I mean, we should not be, as a general, and, and I will give this message to Raiders fans too, as a, as a general football fandom, we should not care about our third-string tight end. Like, if you're really worried about your third-string tight end, you got bigger problems. Now, I understand last year was the signing of Jason Witten for the Raiders. You can make a strong argument that that money could have gone somewhere else. I, I understand that conversation. But realistically, if Urban Meyer needs Tim Tebow to, there to be his cultural sort of help, then he's got the problem, step one, with asserting his own culture. And two, through all of this, if they're relying on their third-string tight end to win him any football games, then Urban Meyer has lost his dang mind. I, I, I will say this till I'm blue in the face. The Jags will fail Trevor Lawrence before Trevor Lawrence fails the Jags. And it's not just about, you know, the strength and conditioning coach hire that was questionable for what it meant for that locker room. It's not just about Tim Tebow. It's not just about ETN. Like, when you've got a top-five running back in the NFL statistically and you draft another one in the first round that now you're telling us you might use it wide receiver, like, Urban Meyer does not know what he's doing in an NFL locker room. And what he doesn't realize is these aren't a bunch of kids that have to rely on Urban Meyer to keep their scholarships. These are a bunch of grown-ass men. And they're going to stop listening to him quickly if he continues to run the entire franchise with this level of, of just stupidity. Is it that or – look, he was a great college coach. I, I, I don't want him to succeed for many, many reasons, but he was a great college coach. But, you know, ETN, he, made a, he said he made a mistake on the whole Tebow nonsense – could, is the chance he fails more for arrogance or he won't be knowing what he does at that level? Because he obviously can coach football, but he's so arrogant at times, I think he might fail because of that and not accept that he's no longer in college and things are done differently at this level. That's a thousand percent it. And look, he, he, there's no questioning his ability to coach. There is questioning his ability to lead men, right? And and I say that, like, I, I remember talking to Logan Ryan a few months ago uh, after he signed a new deal with the Giants. And I said, what, what, what is it about Joe Judge? Because Logan Ryan has played for a bunch of teams. So I said, what is it about Joe Judge that really locked you in? And he said, you know, the thing of it is, it's never, it was never about his coaching ability. It was about the fact that I could sit across from him and get that he understood me as a man. We could sit there and talk about family, and we could sit there and talk about life. And I understood that he understood me. And that matters to the NFL current and former players I talked to. The ability – to actually have a coach that you feel like understands you as a human being and knows how to relate to you as a human being is a big, big deal. And that's part of why Nick Saban, frankly, I, like we just forget that Nick Saban struggled with Miami, right? Like we've seen Petrino struggle. Like we, we see, we've seen major college coaches go to the NFL level and fail. And part of that is because there's a difference between having a relationship with a bunch of kids and having a relationship with a bunch of men. No different than the first time any of us had a job and we were in our early 20s versus when you have a job later in life. Like, what you're looking for from your boss is different. And Urban Meyer's downfall will be that he has too much ego to understand that he has to invest in people now at a different level. It's not just investing in your scholarship and saying, hey, I can hold this against you. It's investing in human beings. And that's what he's showing he's out of touch with. And that's what I think his downfall will be with Jackson. Are the Nashville Predators going to get swept? Yeah, I think so. By the way, the Preds, <laughs> here's your fun fact. The Preds have never, ever, I mean, never won a series where they lost the first game. I mean, just let that sink in. They have never won a series in the Santa Cup playoffs where they were down 0-1. to one. And that's, that's stunning for an organization. They're 0-10 in series where they lose game one. So, uh, you know, this is just also another, you know, Vegas. I'll twist it back to, to the, the Golden Knights. You know, you've got to win when you're in that moment. Because, guys, I was working for the uh, ESPN affiliate that's the Preds flagship station the year that the Preds went to the Stanley Cup final. 
And I'll never forget some of those mornings because we were doing the morning show, and I would come in off lower broad, maybe maybe still a little drunk, and, uh, you know, after the party, and we're just letting callers call in and just enjoy the moment of, oh, my God, I can't believe the Preds, who almost left Nashville, are now headed to the Stanley Cup final. And, and we talked about it ad nauseum, but part of the reason that everybody fell in love with the Preds was because the belief was that with David Boyle as their GM and with the way they were running their organization, this wasn't about one year. They were stacked to be good for five or six. And ever since that Stanley Cup final run, they have found ways to lose in the playoffs. And it's maddening for that fan base that looks at it and says, man, how did we only get one Stanley Cup final appearance out of an era where it felt like they were going to be good for a really long time? And now they're stuck in a way that, they're in a weird spot of probably having to rebuild. So it's a reminder to everybody, like the Golden Knights success has come so quickly and it is so awesome to watch. I just want Vegas to really appreciate every second of it because all it takes is one goaltender, you know, taking a little step back or one coach that seems to lose a locker room in the NHL level. And before you know it, you're looking at an entire rebuild. Man, a rebuild. Don't say those words around here, Jason. Calm down. They're going to have to do it at some point, but not yet. Let's, let's no, relax. Well, I, and look, just enjoy the ride while you got it. If you enjoy the <laughs> ride while you got it, then you can say, hey, the rebuild was worth it because we went to the Western Conference Final four times. Like, whatever it is, you know, like, just enjoy the ride. That's all. You know, I mean, they're, they're uh, not, not going to lose a goalie because they've invested $65 million in both of them. So <laughs> one of them will leave, but they'll be okay. Oh, well, but let me, let me just I'll – take, I'll take that. But, I mean, there was a real and genuine argument in Nashville – when Pecorine was taking, was lifting the team single-handedly to the Stanley Cup final, final there was a, a absolute knockdown, drag-out argument within the community about whether UC Soros was a better goaltender for, for the Preds. And, like, there was a belief that, hey, this is a two-headed monster, and not only is Pekka going to be great, but when Pekka starts his demise, UC is going to take over, and all of a sudden we're going to have just dominant goaltending for, you know, generations to come. And it has not quite turned out that way. Boys. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, he is Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, we appreciate it as always. Thanks, Jason. That is the most hockey analysis I've been able to do in a long time. <laughs> and I love it. So thank you. <laughs> See ya. See ya. So, uh, Ed, what did, you, what did you try to play in the background there? It was a, it was the pick of the day, and I hit it. I, I, I didn't know that it was coming uh, that quickly, so it was a – it was a pick of the day on baseball, but anyway. Jared was panicked because he thought it was his fault that some random noise was starting to play. It no. normally is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We need a new sharp. 702-364-1100 is the number. The last guy did suck. Jared, not a very good pick. 702-364-1100 is the number. Your chance to make a pick. Go on a streak. 702-364-1100. You have the whole weekend to choose from. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. All right, our sharp for today is matt matt hopefully you can do better than jared what would you like your pick to be you can take anything from the weekend let me get uh the albert pujols led dodgers under the total tonight (laughs) i enjoy pitching matchup 
Two aces on the mound. Okay, so <laughs> I see I see that you want the total for the game, right? Not just for the Dodgers? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I see yeah. seven, so we'll give you seven and a half so you can't tie. So we'll go under seven and a half on Dodgers and Giants tonight. Sounds good. All right. Thank Thanks. you, Matt. If you win, we'll be talking we'll be to talk, you We'll be Monday. talking to Matt tomorrow. It's a pitcher's duel oh, tonight. Well, why are we talking to him tomorrow? Or what are you guys texting him? Or? Oh, we'll be talking to him on Monday. Wood, Bauer against Wood tonight. It might be a 2-1 final. Oh, please. Bauer's getting rocked. They're going to finally crack down <laughs> on his illegal substances. He's going to give up seven home runs to that Yastrzemski kid. Even though I think that Yastrzemski kid only walks. I don't think he has yes. hits. I think he, yes. oh, he's going to be 0 for 0 with four walks on the night. <laughs> four walks. Yeah. But okay. Jacob DeGrom, I don't know what I don't know why the Mets did this to the poor low A ball teams, but the Mets put Jacob DeGrom in a rehab game at single A. This is the best pitcher in Major League Baseball, and they decided to have him pitch a rehab game at single A. Three innings for Jacob DeGrom, didn't allow a hit, didn't allow a walk, struck out eight batters. He faced 10 and struck out eight. So Mason Wynn is the name of the man who reached on a throwing error by the second baseman. And Jacob Butchberger is the one that grounded out the third. Those are the only two of 10, uh, what, Palm Beach Cardinals that were able to put the ball in play against Jacob DeGrom. Like, I know it's like a rehab assignment. You're just having having him throw. But, like, what's the point in Jacob DeGrom throwing against single-A batters? I mean... (laughs) Is it close to where they're at right now? Are they playing the Marlins? I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea why he would do this. Uh, I just hope, like in most situations, see most guys go in, uh, especially with his money, um, and you know buy a few days of spread for the uh, minor leagues for their team. I hope he did it for the other team and not his because, like, hey, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm not going to get you guys, but those guys over in the other dugout, I don't know why I'm pitching against them. I'm going to buy them food for the next three days. Imagine being in single A. Like, what are you making this year? Forty thousand dollars to play sing- yeah. to play single A baseball, and all of a sudden, Jacob Degrom <laughs> is starting against you, and you're watching a hundred and two miles an hour blow uh, past you. Are you just looking at the dugout, being like, I, yeah. "I don't get paid enough for this. This is not worth it, guys." Yeah, those are one Coach, of those. Hey, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great day. I'm going to prove myself. And then the first pitch, like, yeah, hey, I don't think so. I will say, I am. Uh, not a proponent of bunting. I would not have had a problem if every single player <laughs> if everyone trying to bunt against Jacob DeGraw. And this is it. The only way we're getting on base. Hopefully we can knock him out with a bunch of bunts, make him field his position. I just like, man, I did, did they have tickets? Like, did they had? I I have to imagine this was like the most attended oh, St. Lucie well, Mets Palm Beach Cardinals I mean, game of all time, right? The the question is, did his own team score any runs? Because he might want to stay down there. They did. No, they did. Yes, they scored seven oh. because the oh uh, seven. That guy's never leaving. Yeah. So the guy running the Palm Day, the Palm Beach Cardinals Twitter account actually tweeted out with the final score. Oh, so now the Mets want to give Jacob Degrom some run support. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yes, he got more run support from the St. Lucie Mets than he will from the New York Mets in his next, like, oh, 15 starts. Seven runs. I don't know oh. if they've given him seven runs in his last seven starts. Yeah, no chance he's getting seven runs. It's unbelievable no. how bad the Mets offense is when Jacob deGrom's on the, yeah. on the mound. But the St. Lucie Mets picked him up. The St. Lucie Mets were like, we're not blowing this. We got the best pitcher in the sport in a single-A game. We're putting some runs on the board. After the other team all get their autographs, you guys will get yours, <laughs> and then we'll start the game. Yeah. Guys over there taking selfies.
Instead of yeah, instead of high fiving after the game, there's just a line and Jacob Degrom sitting at a table <laughs> signing things like it's a fan fest day or something like that. I mean, I would go get it too. Like especially if I put the ball in play, I was oh, like, yeah. I, I grounded out to third against Jacob Degrom. I am asking for that baseball. I'd ask and, for the ball. Yeah, and yeah. getting Degrom to yeah. sign it, no doubt about it. 